0: Hello, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies and kittens. Do me a favor and hit that subscribe button right now. Yep, right now. I'm not bossy. Not at all. One of the hardest things for me to do is to record an intro after I've already sat with the guest. And this instance is forcing me to break a little bit from what I normally do. So I'm giving you my spiel. But I just want you to think about your boundaries. Yeah, a lot of us struggle with that, don't we? So whether you struggle with personal boundaries or not, wouldn't it be nice if a trained professional just happened to just hang out in the places where you feel most vulnerable? Or you have someone who can with whom you share your, your triggers and how you respond to trauma? What the fuckery is an intimacy coordinator. Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadege August, your host. If this is your first time, welcome. And here's what you can expect. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth, whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, then thank you for being open, curious, and willing. In that vein today, my guest is Mia Schachter. Now, Mia is an intimacy coordinator, and she was one of the first, get this, five intimacy coordinators in Los Angeles in a very unsaturated new field, I might add, a new field in the world of entertainment. Mia was born and raised in Los Angeles, so this is her. These are like her stumping grounds. She returned in LA in 2018 after working in theater in New York City for nearly 10 years. Her background is in theater, dance, casting, gender studies, and neuroscience. So she is, wow, impressive. Hi, Mia, hi what the fuckery (laughs) is an intimacy coordinator when i first heard that i thought oh so someone can come to my room and privately teach me how to get down
1: um that would be an intimacy coach those there are real people who do that sex and intimacy coaches Um, hang on really mm -hmm. that's a thing oh absolutely
0: do you know someone who does that
1: Um, I know, uh, there are also people called sexological body workers and there's a network online and you can find people who do that too. Oh, we're, we're going to get some of them online on
0: on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. I digress. Do go on.
1: Yeah. So an intimacy coordinator, um, is much like a stunt coordinator in TV and film. Um, our job is to make a scene look real and stay safe in our context, um, we're dealing specifically with content around uh, simulated sex and nudity on screen. So instead of being involved in fights or weapons or fire or cars, the way that a stunt coordinator would, um, we're there to help uh, coordinate everything across all departments around specifically sexual content. So we're talking to makeup, we're talking to costumes, sometimes we're talking to legal, we're talking to the production office, um, sometimes we're talking to posts to make sure that all channels of communication are flowing specifically around this content.
0: Wow, this is very specific, but you talk to even makeup and... Why?
1: So makeup um, is in charge of things like uh, prosthetics or um, Merkins, which are pubic wigs. Uh, They're also in charge of um, covering up uh, tattoos. Um, So when I talk to an actor and I ask if they have any tattoos that the makeup department doesn't know about, I would then communicate that information to makeup so that they know uh, to either cover it up or that they need to get uh, legal clearance to show a tattoo on on screen oh
0: because it's art
1: right right it's, it's like licensed art. by yeah they have to get permission from the artist so why this field
0: why do we now need intimacy coordinators I mean I can guess mm-hmm. we all know hashtag me too and all of
1: that stuff but how did it walk us through so intimacy, um, I mean, I would argue that we always needed intimacy coordinators. Um, this content has been uh, kind of like the buck has been passed around this content always. So what would yeah, happen- When you say
0: content, do you just mean like a, a love scene in yeah. a, on camera, a sex yeah. scene, whether it be... Uh, a violation scene, even mm-hmm. okay. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: or nudity. So what would happen is that actors often wouldn't be even spoken to about this scene until the day of shooting, and there would be no preparation, and they would be kind of told to like get in position and go when the cameras start rolling. Um, we don't do that with anything else. With all other scenes, we, um, you know, even just a talking scene, we give actors lines. We give them blocking. In a scene that requires a stunt coordinator, we're even more thorough and careful. We have animal handlers right. for Handling animals. of
0: weapons, if you need to use a weapon, right? Right.
1: Yeah. We have medics. We have teachers for minors. But when it came to sex scenes on camera, simulated sex scenes, and nudity. Um, no one was, uh, in charge of talking to actors about what they were comfortable with, um, what their limits were, uh, and what the scene was actually going to look like. Often like the tone of the scene wouldn't even be discussed. And then what would happen is that a director would have a kind of because directors aren't taught how to do this either they would have a somewhat limited vocabulary when it came to directing these scenes they would say things like it needs to be hotter or it needs to be rougher and there's just not there that can not play yeah. that no. so so an intimacy coordinator can help choreograph, can help inform what kind of touch, what, where to touch someone to, um, to get something that might look rougher or hotter. But we then become kind of the interpreter for that, um, interpreting the, the director's words into usable movement for, for actors.
0: Walk us through the last job you had. So it starts with you, what? You sit with the director, you get the script first, then you meet with the actors. Mm-hmm. What's that process like?
1: Yeah, I um, I get the script or I get the scene uh, that, that I'm going to be working on. And I go through it and I come up with kind of my questions around the scene. Typically, the um, a sex scene is written in uh, one or two sentences of um, stage direction. So it's like, then they have sex. Mm-hmm. So I then ask all kinds of questions. I'm going to ask, like, how much do you want to see? How do you want to shoot this? Is it above the waist? Is it a close up? Um, You know, do you want a wide shot? Do you want it? Do you want a wide shot from um, the from from the side? Do you want, uh, you know, because that's going to determine how much we're going to be showing. And then I ask about uh, types of movement. So like, you know, depending on the scene, I'm going to ask, like, do you want to see um, someone grabs someone else's breasts? Do you want to see, um, them, you know, depending on the scene, like, do you want to see some choking? Do you want to see hair pulling? Do you want to see like face caressing? You know, all these questions that I know to ask because different people have different needs and different, um, kind of limits. Um, and then I clarify the language that's going to be used in their rider, which is the, the addition to the contract that, Deal, deal specifically with the sex acts that they're going to be simulating and then the parts of their body that are going to be shown. Um, that then goes to the production office. They send that off to legal and to the representatives and they kind of negotiate that out. So this is all a written format. No. I mean, the conversation that I'm having with the director is in person, and that's generally also with an AD, a DP, a producer, Several people in
0: the room. Mm -hmm. The the actors are not in yet.
1: No. Then I go to the actors one by one privately, and I go over kind of, um, you know, I am not a therapist, and I'm not a social worker, so I'm not doing like an intake or a personal history, but I open up the space to let them tell me anything that they want me to know. Um, And people have shared with me that – you know, they have a a trigger and so to watch out for that or to make sure that um, the other actor knows not to touch them in a certain area or um, that they know what, uh, what their sort of trauma response looks like, you know, when I dissociate my hand shakes, for example. And so like, that's something that I can then be looking out for and then saying, and then I give them a safe word, for example. So I end up saying, asking them, how has your experience been doing these scenes before? Have you ever done a scene like this before? Um, You know, do you have any nerves or fears around doing this kind of scene? Um, And then if there are discrepancies between what the director wants and what the actor's comfortable with, I'll go back to the director and I'll say, you know, uh, how would you feel about shooting this in this way to get around something or, or something like that. And we end up kind of creatively problem solving uh, so that we can stay within the actor's boundaries. Then I, um, then they can talk to each other and they can figure it out but i my job functions to mediate that power dynamic and kind of interrupt it a little bit so that that because there is a hierarchy on set that's well established and it's not going to change anytime soon and i don't know that there's anything inherently wrong with it but the fact of the matter is the director is in charge and so actors are sort of conditioned to give the director whatever it is that they want even when a director insists that all they want is for the actor to be comfortable, it's really hard for an actor to people pleasing <laughs> people pleasing. And also we don't always know what's not comfortable. Right. So like that's part of my job is to help actors kind of figure out to like think about the, the potential situations that could arise and then help them sort of feel into what it feels like, like physically in their body to um, kind of butt up against a boundary. Why why has this field come about? Um, So this field already was coming about before um, October of 2017, when the Harvey Weinstein um, article came out in the New York times and the New Yorker, Um, it was already, uh, it was already pretty well established in theater as early as 2007, Um, because people were finding that, just like choreographing a fight, they wanted to be choreographing um, simulated sex scenes on stage because you needed to be able to hit your mark and hit your lighting and do it in the same amount of time over and over every night in front of hundreds of people. So there were already people doing it in theater, and then it started um, in TV on a show called The Deuce on HBO. Um, They found a woman, Alicia Rodas, who had stunt experience on TV, in TV, and also had been trained by what was then called IDI, Intimacy Directors International. Intimacy Director is the term for theater, for the same role in theater. So she was doing both stunts and intimacy direction, and they hired her to be the first intimacy coordinator on TV. Um, And that really came about because the actors on the show were finding that you know, they were doing simulated sex scenes every single episode and it was getting harder and harder to even I, I, I think, justify
0: why it was necessary.
1: Well, and to figure out like where they were comfortable when, you know, when a director looks you in the eye and says, will you do this? It's really hard to say no to a director. It's hard to say, like, I know I was OK with it last week, but I'm not OK with it this week. Um, so they, what was the deuce about the deuce is about, um, sex work in New York city. In oh, the 70s. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was Emily Mead and a couple other actors on the deuce who brought this up to production, kind of saying like, we need a buffer. Like mm-hmm. we just need a sort of neutral party to like hash this stuff out with. Um, because the director's also busy the director right. doesn't need to talk to you about like Are you nervous around this your scene emotional needs
0: so- around it all? Yeah.
1: yeah, so they they brought that up to a producer and then that's how um, Alicia Rodas got hired on the deuce
0: amazing mm-hmm. So there is actually a human being whose name we know started this whole thing. Oh, yeah Yay her. Yeah,
1: so um, how did you mm-hmm. step into this world Um, so I have a background in, in theater and dance, um, as a performer, um, I studied acting for many years, but I never, uh, really what happened was I kind of fell in love with theater acting, which for me was more about the process than the performance. And so I found myself a lot more drawn to writing and directing. Um, I never pursued acting professionally. Um, I did pursue directing and playwriting professionally and then, uh, had one particular really negative experience in the theater, um, with, with a playwright. And it, I would say it certainly fell under the kind of me to umbrella. Oh God. Um, and I kind of took a sharp left turn and became a, a ceramicist. I had been doing ceramics, um, all through my twenties and I ended up, uh, starting a a ceramics business um this is in new york this was in new york Mm -hmm. yeah and that all the themes in the work that i was doing i i was doing functional ceramics but i also started doing um you know visual art fine art and performance art in in clay and i was starting to use devised theater principles um and apply them to making sculpture And so what what came up with that and and had been consistent in all of my writing was all these themes around sexuality, gender, relationships, power dynamics. So those were all things that were kind of um, like distilling for me thematically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started to realize as I was doing, like moving into fine art and ceramic work, that those themes were going to be consistent in anything that I did. Um, Do you know why? um, I've always been really... Interested in that stuff. I've always been kind of the friend that people come to with their sex and relationship problems I've always had a really easy time Talking about sex. Mm -hmm. Um, I was kind of a late bloomer and I didn't have like I didn't get my period until I was 14 I wasn't really dating until college Um, and Yet for whatever reason I've just had this really kind of casual way of talking about these things I don't know where that comes from when did the
0: gender studies come in
1: um all through high school i was very interested in um in kind of i i always i remember feeling throughout a lot of my life that like a lot of things that people said were kind of stereotypes. maybe i didn't understand them the stereotypes but things at the time that i was told were kind of true about women and girls i didn't feel applied to me mm-hmm. and so there was kind of this inner or turmoil tur- or yeah. yeah around like does that mean if I don't feel that, that I'm like not Not a a woman, woman or not a girl or that there's something wrong with me? Or of course this, you know, marketing brainwashing of like men, will men never be interested in me and all this stuff. Um, and I also had been, uh, Because I was kind of a late bloomer, I was always like observing other people's relationships and sex lives, you know, like hearing about things from friends and feeling like, oh, that's, you know, I could kind of look at it with like from a distance.
0: You know, I I had a joke about that because you, you sound quite similar to me, except I lost it after college. So I got you beat, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I used to joke about being probably one of the most experienced virgin right. there ever was. Right, because you just know so much, even though you weren't doing it. Right, you know so much because you're hearing your friends and they're sharing and you're learning and you actually have an opinion. Right, isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and then neuroscience.
1: Case. Yeah, so when I went to college, um, I decided to declare philosophy as my major. Um, and at the time, that was kind of an excuse to like study a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. i've I've always had a really hard time um, like making decisions, Just picking one. <laughs> yes. And so philosophy to me seemed like a good way to not have to make a choice. But it turns out philosophy is actually a really specific choice, <laughs> which of course, I did not understand. Hey, listeners, the term
0: self-care is thrown around a lot these days and deservedly so. And I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care. And one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. Therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor. You can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor. BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to. Um, It's very affordable. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. So get started today. And you as a What the Fockery listener, get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Fockery10. Again, that's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P.com forward slash Fockery10. In fact, use Fockery10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um, use our sponsors. Okay, back to our program.
1: It turns out philosophy is a really specific choice. It's a really specific um, way of thinking and arguing and um, engaging with ideas and concepts. So uh, it started for me with, philosophy a class called philosophy and feminism that you know this was this was 10 or 12 years ago so i would highly doubt that they're calling it feminism anymore um what would they call it now gender studies oh yeah okay um, that's pc well it's it's not exclusionary you know Ah, feminism um seems to say female right right uh and i think that you know, very modern feminism is a lot more interested in fighting all intersection, like fighting all oppression as it uh, changes with different intersections of identity um, and not just fighting for the rights of women.
0: This may be taking you off an atten- um taking me and you off mm-hmm. a tangent, but I feel appropriate. You probably can answer. You're equipped to answer this. I've noticed in the world of theater too, specifically lately, as we go around our first table read, they say, please say your name in what pronoun you want Mm -hmm. to use. And that always, that has been sort of like taking me aback a little bit Mm -hmm. because unlike most, and probably uh, most people do the same, you associate your sexuality and your gender with your um, part. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I have a vagina, therefore I'm a she and I'm a her, mm-hmm. right? Is that correct? Are there people who have the apparatus that says traditionally female choose to have a different uh, pronoun? Absolutely. So why is that? And uh, no, 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 I, I, no, no. It's a loaded question here. It's not so much why is that, um, hmm, I need to reframe it somehow. But do you understand what I'm trying to ask?
1: Yes. Um, yes. Uh, okay, so we used to have two options, male and female. Right. Um, we've always had people who uh, have not felt very closely aligned with, with, either. Um, with either and with the roles that they prescribe and with the um, – uh, um, the, the traits that are associated with them. We are now um, sort of operating, we are no longer in a binary system, so we don't only have two options anymore, which opens up for people um, a much larger conversation about the social construction of gender. Um, gender roles have mostly been... Um, set up by society. Uh, we learn them for the most part. And, uh, gender as a construct that is a man-made human made concept, um, is not, uh, does not depend on someone's genitalia. Right. So when someone feels what's called dysphoria, um, they tend to have, uh, a, there's a discrepancy between their body and the gender that they identify as internally. Um, and what that means is that they might, uh, you know, uh, someone who's assigned female at birth, um, but identifies as non-binary or, um, or identifies as a man, um, might feel dysphoria around their chest or might feel dysphoria around their period. Um, it's a very, um, like out of body, um, Upsetting feeling around these things that um,
0: Define you out externally externally, right? I had an intersex individual on and it was yeah It was terrific Mm -hmm. and I feel that the conversations that I have with uh, Those who are probably stuck in this traditional way of looking at things and I may be guilty of it, too is we have to be clear that gender is not sexuality
1: Gender is not sexuality, and it, gender is also not your body. Um, I mean, I identify as queer, and um, I fall under the non-binary umbrella. So I use she, or their, or they pronouns. She. When I hear she about myself, it doesn't um, it doesn't upset me. Um, but I also don't feel that I am at one extreme end of the gender spectrum. I'm feminine of center of kind of the middle point. Um, but my gender expression and how I feel about my gender also changes day to day, month to month, year to year. So
0: it's fluid.
1: It's fluid. Um, and then sexuality is a completely separate thing. Um, you know, whether or not my gender is fluid, I can be attracted to any other gender person and then characterize my sexuality in any number of ways. Um, But it doesn't matter, like what your gender is has nothing to do with um, what your sexuality is. What I would say, though, the word queer is an interesting word because if you identify anywhere outside of a binary for your gender, you can call yourself queer. But you can also identify as a cis person, which is on one extreme or the other, and have a... um, a a sexuality that is uh, not heterosexual or homosexual Um, though even some homosexual people call themselves queer but you can identify anywhere along the spectrum of the of gender and or anywhere along the spectrum of sexuality and consider yourself queer or you can you can be on one spectrum or on the other spectrum and identify as queer you don't have to be both you know, gender non-conforming and have a sexuality that's not heterosexual.
0: Gotcha. And now everyone's wondering, okay, so what the mm, does this have to do with intimacy? But it does. It's something, it's it's a conversation and it needs to happen with, I imagine the actors.
1: Right. So it has two things to do with my job. On the one hand, it has everything to do with being an advocate on set for anyone who identifies on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum spectrum or, or, you know, within that community. And it also has to do with, um, informing characters. So you're still going to end up with, um, with, you know, straight cis actors playing queer people. Um, you also may end up with a queer actor playing a cis person, and that could be dysphoria inducing for them. Um, so in a case like that, having an intimacy coordinator present to be able to check in with them, who's like informed, I mean, within Hollywood, it's still a very cis hetero place. Um, it's still a very, you know, that field is still very kind of binary in that way. Um, and so that can start to feel to a, to a queer person, like they're not being, mis- they're they're being, they're being misunderstood, heard. they're not being heard. Um, and then certainly, when it comes to informing about around character, you know, you a, a writer uh, might very well might want to write a character or might be writing a character who is outside of their identity. You know, a writer is mm-hmm. not going to write exactly to who they are. Um, and so it it can you know we are available. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that we are like doing this actively, but we are certainly available and informed on these. Topic. So to if, help with the depiction. Yeah. So if something came up, you know, if I were reading a script and there was something that could potentially be seen as offensive or was like deeply misunderstanding of a certain identity um, under the LGBTQIA plus umbrella. Um, I would feel that it was within it w- I was obligated to speak up about that. I okay. think I would have to speak up about that. So after you go through the
0: whole, you sit with the director, it goes through up the ranks through legal and all of that and they say, okay, we agree. What happens? Are you physically on set the day yes. of? Do you meet with the actors prior to discuss? Do you choreograph, rehearse it? Well, tell mm-hmm. us that. That's
1: same set that sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, on the day of shooting, we generally um, go check in with the actors And make sure they're kind of if they have any final questions, we address those. Um, And then when it comes to shooting, we make sure that the set is properly closed. We have a a closed a private rehearsal with the director where they kind of, depending on the director or the actors, um, some people like to choreograph their own scenes. Some people say, you know, Mia, go ahead. Um, And so we will choreograph the scene, rehearse it, mark it kind of problem-solve any movement that's um, clunky or, or awkward. And then, um, and then I make sure that throughout shooting, we stay within the boundaries that the actors have set up. So I try to find some time to have the actors tell each other what they've told me. Um, you know, you can touch me here, you can touch me here, you can squeeze, you can grab, you can scratch, whatever those things are. Um, it's a lot more powerful, obviously, when it comes from them than when it comes from me. And I'm there to make sure that we actually cover all the bases that I had already discussed with them and the director. Um, and then throughout shooting, I make sure that one, we stay within those, that the actors stay within those boundaries, um, you know, mistakes happen. I've never been on a set, hopefully I'll ever be on a set, but I've heard of it, um, where someone sort of purposefully crosses a boundary. And then I'm also there to make sure that the shooting stays within what we've established already. So, you know, sometimes like someone says they don't want to show their butt, for example, from like straight on their butt, but they're fine with it showing from the side. Um, So a very common one is like fine with, you know, rear nudity, excluding butt crack. So what we end up doing
0: it sounds is, hilarious, yeah, but I get it.
1: But so what we end up doing is like, we're not going to cut for you to like move into position, right. Or move out of position or move from one position to the other. So sometimes what I end up doing is like saying to the script supervisor, just make sure we cut between, you know, we have to cut around. Just want to make sure, you know, that these are the, these are the boundaries of this scene. Um, And then as we're shooting, when things come up, like, uh, you know, this rollover is not flowing. Like, I can help with things like that. Mm -hmm. Masking techniques, which is about covering up um, areas that we don't want to show. And also modesty garments and like pasties and things like that. We don't want to show those. So so I find ways to kind of choreograph so that we can work around that in that show. What happens when an actor wants a body double?
0: Do you work with the body double?
1: Yeah, I would. I've never had that. I haven't had that yet. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would end up working with the body double. I also end up speaking to the stand-ins too, because sometimes they're sitting on top of each other for 20 minutes while we light a scene. And so I'll, I'll always try to get in touch with them the night before just to say, just wanted to make sure you
0: you no, know I'm here and if it. you
1: need anything. Right. Right. And that this is what you're going to be doing tomorrow. Um, and then if I if I don't get a chance to do that, I'll introduce myself first thing on set and just say, you know, I'm the intimacy coordinator. If you need anything, I'm, I'm here. And we can get you a, a barrier if you want to, you know, we have barriers that prevent you from even feeling any heat. Like from on, the other person's genitalia. Right, exactly.
0: Wow. Yeah. Amazing. How busy are you?
1: Um, I'm not very busy. There's not a lot of work right now. Um, we're still working with SAG and... Um, other SAG is the Screen Actors Guild, yeah. Mm-hmm. SAG-AFTRA, the union. Right. So we're still working on spreading the word about this. A lot of people don't know what we do. Um,
0: Hopefully, this podcast will help because that is exactly the goal of this podcast yeah, is I to hope share so. this information and let, let it get to the right people. So SAG-AFTRA is working with you. Are they also trying to get the DGA, the Directors Guild, and the Writers Guild involved?
1: That's part of what's going on. My understanding is that there's like a vote coming up this year. Um, But I'm not totally sure even what the vote is for. This is not my area of expertise. There are people who are working on this um, in my field. Um, But we're also, you know, from a production perspective, like we're an additional line in the budget, so there's still some resistance to that. There's a lot of um, resistance to this job in general. A lot of directors are afraid that we're gonna come in and like neuter these scenes and try to direct them, um, which just comes from a misunderstanding of what of course, we do. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, I think the language is very appropriate. Coordinator. We're right. coordinating. We're not right. directing. Right. See? I like right. that. I mean, because if you called yourself intimacy directors, I can see how on for the theater that works, but with the egos and everything else, a coordinator is not a director.
1: I mean, we're simply not a director. No, not. We're, we're, that's just not what we're there to do. We don't talk about the emotionality of the scene or the relationship or the, yeah. you know. You're not directing. Not at all.
0: Yeah. You're just facilitating communication so that no one's traumatized at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. And also just so that everyone has all the same information going in. I mean, there's a lot, none of this is like, you know, hostile or manipulative on anyone's part. But what happens a lot is that there's so many moving parts that when it comes to this specific kind of scene, something falls through the cracks on its way from one department to the other. And- Generally, there's, um, you know, this this content is unusual in the fact that it is for certain people, it's it's kind of an in, in one ear and out the other kind of thing. Like some people are not comfortable talking about sex, they're not comfortable talking about bodies, and and that's completely fine. That's not their job. Mm-hmm. But that's why an intimacy coordinator can be super helpful in making sure that everyone has consistent information and on the day of shooting we are all on the same page right and it probably goes a lot smoothly mhm it right? does it mm-hmm. goes a lot more smoothly and a lot more quickly right i've seen i've seen sex scenes get get shot in in two takes one for safety like the first one they nailed it and the director said we allocated 2 hours to this scene so let's just do another one and we're done in about 20 minutes amazing amazing Wow. Okay. Now I'm fascinated with
0: your neuroscience. W- mm. Why? Why? What's up with that?
1: Well, what was happening for me as I was studying philosophy was that there was um, this constant, There, there's sort of a, a battle between philosophers and neuroscientists, um, like modern philosophers and neuroscientists um, around free will and determinism. So what was happening was that I was getting really deeply into this question around this moral dilemma around free will versus determinism. Like if I can't control my fate, am I responsible for my actions? Mm-hmm. You know, can I be held accountable for something that I did? That is I... a
0: great question. That is yeah. that of a philosopher, isn't it? Yeah. Am I responsible for my fate if I can't control my actions?
1: Right. Am I responsible for for a crime? right? Like then there's a justice question. And the more that I was looking at, um, at the question of justice, and I was looking at, you know, the the sociological, economic, all these reasons why people were finding themselves in jail and prison, for example, or in certain jobs, trapped in certain um, situations, like, why are we seeing, you know, incredibly high rates of like, STDs in people like this and not like this, you know, like the way that those things all break down, um, it does look to me like our world and our lives are pretty much determined. Um, and the more that I got into that, the more it came up that, um, in neuroscience, in the neuroscience world, they really don't believe that we have a choice at all. Um, they think that our brain is
0: wired and responsible. For right. A lot.
1: And that our brain knows what we're going to do and say before we even do it. And it's due to what happened five seconds ago and five minutes ago and five hours ago and five years ago. So that, um, that question fascinated me also the way that kind of, um, the way that perception works when it comes to, um, identity. So like when I, um, you know, how is it that my brain reads your face and knows pretty instinctively that you're a kind person, right? Or a smart person. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> no, but I mean, you can see these on people's True. faces, you right? Can.
0: You can make that decision. You
1: can. And sometimes we're wrong, but for the most part, like our brain picks these things up unconsciously and then tells us like, this is a trustworthy person. And it's because of body language. It's because of all these really subtle things that go on in the other person and in us, you know, in response to them i got really fascinated with mirror neurons which which are pretty much like the the neurological basis for for empathy and like uh knowledge acquisition as opposed to the active form of learning which i'm blanking on um you know where we it's cognitive yeah um oh cognitive learning? it's a cognitive function yes yes how yeah. we learn right um but knowledge acquisition, like language acquisition, rather than like how we do it as babies, we learn to mirror people um, versus like having someone have to say to you, like, this is how you have a conversation with somebody, you know, like we don't have to do that. We, we copy people. Um, so I got really obsessed with mirror neurons. I was really into this idea of free will versus determinism. And ultimately, I do believe that we are both simultaneously um Fated to a particular, you know, determined f- for a particular fate and also responsible for our actions. So that's our <laughs>
0: conclusion today. That's yeah, I will check in with you in a few years sure, and figure out what you've figured out. But I, I've got to say, I love and admire anyone who has such a, a thirst for knowledge and you go out of your way to seek the answers, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. So are you working on any degrees right now that we need to know about? No. Are you
1: done? No. I, I really did <laughs> consider in college, I was very seriously considering changing my major from neuroscience to philosophy. But ultimately, I had a really bad um, science education growing up. And I never really felt like it was a good choice for me because I never felt like I could really grasp science, fully grasp Mm -hmm. it in a way to have like a mastery of it. And I also kind of knew on some level that I was really more of a creative type. And that was right. probably where my life was going to go.
0: Well, it sounds to me like your left and right brain are pretty balanced. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. that could be it. I mean, I I too was fascinated with the brain. I took classes on neuroscience of the mind and I studied the brain, but very much like you, I doubted my ability to retain that information and be able to do the statistics and all this, the, that part, the mm-hmm. left brain things. And so, yeah. Yeah. I I get it. I get it. Um, Do you have any of your ceramics work for me to see since I'm in your casa? Um, I'll I'll look. I'll check them out. Yeah. And you know what? If you don't mind, I will have a picture of you next to the podcast episode on our Instagram page, Mm -hmm. my listeners. uh, So you can meet Mia. Schachter in person or at least have a visual mm-hmm. and maybe we can have some of your your kitty cats. She has two <laughs> black cats. Well, one's black and white and uh, the ceramics. Sure. Yeah. A woman of many talents. A <laughs> uh, she-her of many talents. She they? Either oh, or they. Oh my God. Whatever you Am I ever going to get it right? As long as people just don't be offended, please, if I say something wrong. It just takes practice. It does. Mm-hmm. But I've been, I, I actually ask people what do they want now and some people are so appreciative that I mm-hmm. ask them that. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize how a pronoun could mean so much.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: There's Definitely. a song somewhere in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. A pronoun can mean so much. Do you have a special way that you say goodbye to people, Mia?
1: <laughs> oh, but before you do, um, if people need to get a hold of you, how can you yeah. do that? Um, well, they can email me. Um, my email is um, Mia, M-I-A, at share the load, inc, I-N-C, That Um, will be on the show notes too. Okay. And you can also get a hold of me through my website, which we'll put in the show notes. I'm on Instagram at Mia Schachter. And my last name is S-C-H-A-C-H-T-E-R.
0: It's not Um, difficult at all.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are some cool pronunciation have you gotten? Oh, Oh. uh, Oh, Schachter, Chachter. Uh, Shatner. People often yes. say Shatner, and I'm like, there's no N in there. <laughs> um, it's, it's less the pr- pronunciation and more um, the spelling. Like I've yes. seen it spelled every which way. Where in LA did you grow up? I grew up on the west side near UCLA. Oh, okay. And is that where you went to school? Uh, I went to um, elementary school over there. I went to uh, Paul Revere Middle School in Brentwood, and then I went to Hamilton High School Performing Arts Magnet in Culver City. Ah,
0: and college was where? College was at Columbia in New York. Oh, Columbia U. wow, mm-hmm. yeah. place I almost went to and changed my mind because oh. I decided I wouldn't be a lawyer after all. Oh. <laughs> all right. How do you say goodbye? I have special ways we like to say goodbye to my listeners. Oh. And it stems um, from you. Uh,
1: goodbye. I I don't know. I'm kind of... I, I'm putting you on the spot, aren't I? Yeah. I, I like... Hugs and or if not hugs, I'm I'm pretty good at the dipping out without saying anything. <laughs> oh,
0: you're that person who yeah. just like where is she? She was just right here. Oh she's yeah. that person who just leaves. Well,
1: especially if I'm in a room and I'm like, okay, there are seven people that I would need to say goodbye. I'm like, I'm just gonna text them later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know what? Text you later. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: Okay, maybe not, not quite by yet. If you know someone who might enjoy this topic or this episode, why don't you just forward it to them right now, share, help us grow our community, and uh, check out the Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at WhatTheFockery to see what our guests look like. I'm sure you're pretty interested sometimes, and um, the videos and the stories and previews and clips. We are growing, we are growing, and I have you to thank for that. Now, officially, till we meet again, next episode, same place, same station. No, not a station. Okay, see you next time. Bye!